Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, February the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Jarvis Landry news is bound to break any day now, whether that's a re-sign or an announcement he's going to walk or if he's going to get franchise tagged. Something is going to happen within the next several days or several weeks, whatever it is. But the, the franchise tag window is open. We're going to talk about Jarvis Landry and open that can of worms once more. I focus on my film study and another unsung hero of 2017, Jesse Davis. Also, some notes on tendency breakers for the Miami Dolphins and just how much do they miss their bye week in 2017. Lastly, we'll talk about the strength of Ryan Tannehill's game using some PFF numbers. Just how good is he at that particular strength and what does it tell us about the kind of team that Miami should build around him? But first, before any of that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review. If you guys don't know by now, those ratings and reviews help me go up the iTunes charts. It helps the program stay relevant and in business because if I don't get listeners, don't get followers, we're not going to have a show for much longer if that happens. So the more ratings and reviews, it really, really, really helps us out. So please go ahead and do that if you have not already. Follow us on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Finn. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Tons of written content up there right now. And check out the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts like the Locked on Heat podcast and Locked on NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And just real quick before we get into the podcast today, I wanted to go ahead and apologize for not having an episode up on Monday morning slash Sunday night for you guys. That's been kind of the flagship program of the podcast, if you will. I planned on it. I, I really did. I planned on getting home and doing a podcast on Sunday. But Saturday, the old fashions and the whiskey and the tequila and the vodka, they all won. They won out and uh, put Travis on the couch for, for the whole day. I didn't really do a whole lot yesterday. I was pretty much stuck to the couch and, and nursing that hangover that I dealt with because I had some friends in town. So... I kind of vanished for the weekend off the Twitterverse, off of the podcast, off of the .com, so no content from the weekend, but we're getting back into it now, and I kind of realize I have more content to talk about, given the fact that I had some tweets I sent out today, some film cut-ups, all that good stuff, so we're back in better than ever, but no show on Monday, and you know, the... The normal the normal program during the season is going to be a Sunday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning show, so four shows a week. The offseason is a little bit different. I take a little bit more time off. I have three days a week that I record, but right now is kind of the dead period between or the calm before the storm, so to speak. I mean, once I have free agency to get to and the draft, I'm going to have a bunch of pieces to write, a bunch of podcasts to record, so we'll get more and more into that, but I'm going to kind of enjoy the fact that I have a little bit of a dead period right now where I'm just kind of going back and doing some self-scouting like the Dolphins are doing themselves right now, kind of figuring out the the free agency board. We can beat these topics to death over and over again, but I'm going to go ahead and just keep it fresh for you guys. But nevertheless, we press on here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Let's just go ahead and get right into first down. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is first down here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. We are talking, of course, about Jarvis Landry and just kind of beating that topic down again because we've talked about it all offseason. It's been the talk of really the entire year. Once the season kind of went south for the Dolphins, you know, there's a big Jarvis Landry contingency on Twitter. He has a huge fan base, and there's a reason for that. And there's I mean, he's earned that right. He's a tough player. He plays very hard. I was watching some cups today of Jesse Davis, the, the right guard for the Dolphins, and he... You see Jarvis Landry standing out doing certain things that other guys just don't do. I talked a little bit about Ty Montgomery and the Green Bay Packers running back, and there was a play in that Bills game I was watching. You can find it on Twitter, at Weekfield NFL, uh, on my timeline today in the media section. 
and there's a play where they kind of do a little toss sweep to him. It counts as a reception, but Jay Cutler basically takes the snap and just tosses the ball forward, but it's like a running play. And you get Landry on the jet sweep coming across the formation, and he can kind of pick and choose his hole on the outside there and then get upfield and and really drop his shoulder and make some plays. And he puts his shoulder down, runs a guy over, and and picks up an additional three or four yards. And when he gets that north-south mentality going, I love watching him play like that because he gets so many extra yards that most guys don't get as wide receivers because they're kind of looking for the sideline or looking to get down or kind of trying to avoid contact or run away from guys. But he has that running back mentality and that kind of alpha mentality he wants to run guys over but the question is is how much of that are you willing to pay for because he has his limitations we talked about it so many times I'm not going to go into the speed the inability to stack you know defensive backs all that stuff that he can't do there's plenty of stuff that he can do but he's really comparable to Julian Edelman up in New England and a guy on Twitter Eric Elizondo, I believe it is. I might pronounce that wrong. He tweeted out earlier something re- relative to Julian Elliman's numbers the last four years and Jarvis Landry's numbers the last four years, and they are almost identical. Touchdowns and yards and catches almost identical across the board. And you look at Julian Elliman and what he makes, it's only $7 bucks a year. So Landry wants twice as much as that. So is that passion, that drive, and you know the intense personality worth the extra money? Because Elliman kind of has that too. He just doesn't as vocal with it. He doesn't tweet as much about it as Jarvis Landry does. And the reason we're getting into all this today is because he sends out a cryptic tweet, or I guess it was Instagram. I saw it on Twitter, but it was a, a picture of him smiling and saying something about like the big news or something rather, something coming or some kind of day or, it, you know, it just leads you to believe there's some type of contract negotiation happening or something going on where he's either going to get paid by us, someone else, or he's going to get franchise tech. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but... As you listen to this episode, as it comes out Tuesday morning, the 20th of February, franchise tag day is officially open. So teams can now place franchise tags on guys. And if you franchise them, the thing about franchise tagging Jarvis Landry is you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room in the sense that you can go ahead and get one more year out of him for, you know, it's not a good price tag for you, but it doesn't commit you to multiple years of that type of contract. So you can get him while the the market's relatively cheap in terms of the receivers and what they're getting as an average for the franchise tag right now is it's probably going to be about what he would expect on a multi-year deal. So why would you just give him that one-year deal and try to negotiate in season and get that figured down, you know, to something more reasonable as kind of cooler heads prevail. He's had a little bit more time to relax and he's playing football again. Maybe that's kind of their approach. You franchise tag him, get him for the same cost. It would be for, you know, a four-year deal at $14 million a year, whatever it is, and just kind of give him an extra year to kind of work out things on the business end of it. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I don't think, you know, Jeff Darlington reported that he's not going to get out of Miami. The least likely option is that he leaves Miami in free agency, which I'm, yeah, I'm so on the fence against this. And I've been, I've been back and forth on it all season, all off season saying we need to pay him. We don't need to pay him, but I, I will not change my mind on the fact that he is not worth $14 million a year. He's just not that receiver. He is not the upper echelon of receivers, but he definitely has a great place on this team as a blocker in the running game and definitely in the passing game as well on third downs. I mean, he's just a very good player, but he's not the best player. So going to be very interesting to see what happens with him that in that regard. Let's go ahead and move on to the next topic here and talk about the next man up in my film study series. Of course, that is Jesse Davis. I tweeted out some gifs and cut-ups of him today doing some work at right guard. I plan on watching a little bit of him at right tackle because I think that he's going to be on the right side of the offensive line next year and just kind of seeing the things that he can do. I'm excited about it. I mean, they, they used a lot of different formations and different types of blocking techniques with him he's done some reach blocking he does a great job with the combo blocks a reach blocks when you go outside of your body and kind of get to a guy that's not in your particular gap so that's something that Mike Pouncey is asked to do a lot in Miami and he, he's been a, he's had a really hard time 
executing those types of blocks. But Jesse Davis does a pretty good job. He has those long arms. He has feet like a tackle. He has really got really quick, choppy feet that he can kind of get himself in position and get him under his shoulders and get squared up and hit guys in a way that kind of moves them off the football. So his combo blocks where he helps the double team at the line of scrimmage and then climbs to the second level to the linebackers, he's really skilled at doing that. He has some issues in his pass sets in terms of pass blocking where he got kind of dominated by Kyle Williams at times in this game where he has a really weak punch. He's kind of off balance. just doesn't look right. So I think he has a little bit of growing to do, but just in the little stuff that I watched today at right guard, I think he has a really good chance to be not just a starting offensive lineman, but an effective like asset on the Dolphins offensive line, something they've really, really needed for a long time. And we're going to get more into that on the next topic, talking about everyone's favorite player. This is a funny podcast. we got Jarvis Landry and Ryan Tannehill, the two lightning rods of the Miami Dolphins right now. So we're going to get to talking about Ryan Tannehill and what an offensive lineman could do for him here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. So if you guys follow me on Twitter, as I'm sure most of you do, if you listen to the podcast here at Wingfield NFL, you saw me tweeting out quite a bit of stuff today. And one of the things that I got into was because I pro football focus re- or resurrected their old format of grading and kind of their old signature stats and the format that is way, way better than the new one. I, I wish they would just go back to that full time. And I got into there and played around with it a little bit today and I found play action passing numbers. And as you guys know by now, I have been harping on the fact that Ryan Tannehill is one of the best play action passers in the NFL. And I get a lot of crap for that online, by whether it's Dolphins fans or not Dolphins fans. I get a lot of people saying that, you know, <laughs> the various things that folks will say on Twitter about someone they disagree with. But, you know, looking at some of Ryan Tannehill's stats as a play action passer, just going off a of passer rating alone, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. He's been uh, he's been a top five or six quarterback as a play action passer across the NFL throughout the course of his career. 2016, his passer rating is 112.8. That's eighth in the NFL. 2015, it's 106.9. That is seventh best in the NFL. 2014 is a blip on the radar. 85.1. He threw a couple more picks that year. They ran a lot more play action because it was kind of Bill Lazor doing that zone read play where it's really built in play action on anything possible. So when I talk about play action with Ryan Tannehill, I'm talking about where he is under center. He turns his back to the defense and has the option to boot to either side. It kind of just frees him up in terms of having a little bit more space to operate with and it gives him a little bit more easier reads to process where he can use that athleticism and get out on the edge so in 2014 it goes down to 85.1 20th best in the NFL not a good year for him on the play action game in 2014 but go back to Mike Sherman's years in 2013, he is a 109.6 rated passer, fifth best in the NFL. This is before the passer rating jump really took off. And it has, you know, periodically throughout the course of the last 10 years, but it's taken off more even so in the recent years. But go back to 2012, 121.2, the second best play action passer in the NFL as a rookie quarterback. And that's ironically kind of, you know, they ran less play action back in those Mike Sherman years. They went 15% of the time they ran play action. 15% of their passes were play action passes in 2012. In 2013, it was 14%. So you have Ryan Tannehill go from the second best play action passer in the NFL. Think about that. Second best in the NFL, and they're going to reduce what he does best. Just tells you all you need to know about that coaching staff right there. 2014, new offense, new coordinator, new play caller, new system completely. It goes way down to 85.1, but he was up at 25% play action passing night. Like I mentioned, there was a lot more of that built in. And then 2015, it goes the percentage goes down to like 20 percent I think it was 20.6 percent or something like that and he 
improves back to his regular numbers. And that's because, to me, Bill Lazor gets fired about halfway through that year. Joe Philbin's gone after four games, and they bring in a new system. They go back to more tight ends, more running the football. What do you know? Ryan Tannehill's numbers spike again. He's a great play-action quarterback, seventh best in the NFL that year. And then 2016 with Adam Gaze, the number goes back up to like 23%, so a lot more play-action than he ever saw with Mike Sherman and Joe Philbin and Bill Lazor. Well, not Bill Lazor, but those guys. And he's the eighth highest play-action passer rating quarterback in the NFL. So a very, very strong part of his game there. And just to compare it to some other guys that I've been told that are way better than him in the play action on the move game, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. Well, Ryan Tannehill's passer rating in his career since 2012 is 104.5. Russell Wilson's is 103.1 and Aaron Rodgers is 101 even. So you tell me who the good play action quarterbacks are because I got a guy that's playing along the among the elites in terms of play action passing. So he's right there with those guys playing very, very well when he does that. So what does that tell us about what the Dolphins should do with their offense and how they should build around Ryan Tannehill? Well, it's pretty clear that he is best when he has a strong offensive line, a good running game, as most quarterbacks are, but he just excels so much on the run and on the play action game. And he has that big arm. He can rip the ball over the linebackers. The reason he excels at play action passing so much is because it takes away probably one of his biggest weaknesses and the way he doesn't identify the underneath coverage or linebackers or corners or safeties that peel off of receivers when they can get a read on him and they have a feel for what he's going to do they'll kind of like they'll you know they'll suck off of their guy and fall into a different area of the field and he won't see them coming and they'll get a pick that way or you know he doesn't recognize robber coverage or guys pulling back into the hook zone of bluff blitz that type of thing it's just the cerebral aspect of the game that has gotten better for him wasn't as good early in his career. And that's where a lot of those struggles came from in those interceptions and the big, big interception returns. And it was the type of picks where he has no idea guys there and it gets picked off and taken back the other way before he has to go tackle him. So some of those big mistakes were on him early on, but also the team struggled to separate at the skill positions. They, they struggled to block in later years, obviously, but if you just go out and you, you really put an emphasis on the offensive line, and I've been kind of against this for a while, but kind of looking at these numbers made me realize, well, if the Dolphins want to have their best team around Ryan Tannehill, what you got to do is build the offensive line and be a, a formidable running team. Now you go back to last year and you look at some numbers on the running game in terms of how frequently does a running back get hit or how many yards away from the last scrimmage is it when a running back gets hit. And the Dolphins are really in an absolute embarrassment in terms of how quickly the running back is contacted on average between Kenyon Drake, Jay Ajayi, and Damian Williams. They were on average contacted within a half a yard behind the line of scrimmage. Completely terrible. It's a full three yards worse than the average in NFL. Most NFL teams average right around two to two and a half yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So these guys are getting hit in the backfield before they even cross the line of scrimmage, whereas every other team is getting, you know, push upfield, making much better effort in terms of getting the push off the line of scrimmage and getting ball carriers yards before they get hit. So it's just astronomical how bad the Dolphins offensive line has been since Ryan Tannehill took over. And I know no one wants to hear that. They want to hear because they want to hear results and they want to see this team win. That's the only way Ryan Tannehill will ever get vindicated. But I'm just telling you, there's a lot of circumstances that go against him. And that is definitely one of them. The pass protection and the inability to run the football for a guy that absolutely excels in the play-action passing game. So I'm going to get to some more Tannehill tape tonight. I'm, I'm this All this stuff kind of got me interested back into it, so I'm going to get some more charting done. We have one more segment here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, at Wingfield NFL. So we've talked about Jarvis Landry. We've talked about Ryan Tannehill. Why not get the third most polarizing figure on the podcast talking about Adam Gaze a little bit? And I did some football, watched some football over the weekend, just kind of turned the DVR on, popped a game on. Wanted to have some good feelings. I popped on the Denver game. The Denver Broncos beat down the Dolphins 135-9 back in December and just kind of looked at, you know, you can always get notes from the broadcasters, even though Dick Stockton is one of the worst play-by-play guys I've ever heard in my life. And then you have Mark Schlereth, or excuse me, Dick Stockton is the color guy. Mark Schlereth is the play-by-play guy, one of the worst 
combos there possibly could be. But you still hear some stuff in those broadcasts because those guys have done their homework and learned a little bit of stuff about the teams. So one of the things I heard was that the Dolphins, prior to that game, were at 11 personnel, a league high 82% of the time. 11 personnel means one running back, one tight end. So that means three wide receivers. Adam Gaze views Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Parker, all as starters that play just about every single snap of the game. Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills were both right around 90% of the season snaps for the Dolphins' offense. Devontae Parker was lower, but he missed a bunch of games. So the fact that when all three of those guys are healthy, they're going to play most of the snaps on an ideal Adam Gase team. Now, what Adam Gase did in this game was he adapted to more or more 12 personnel, excuse me, one running back, two tight ends, as Anthony Fasano and Marquise Gray both get up right around their season high in snap counts, and they are running a lot more two tight end sets, play action under center, running the football, and as a result, the Dolphins ran the ball with their running backs, 28 carries for 142 yards, over five yards per carry, so it just makes you wonder how much of an impact losing that bye week has on the Dolphins for the ability to go ahead and break tendencies, because you know, coaches, what they're, what they're going to do on when they study the tape, they want to see what that team does, what they're likely to do to kind of counter what they do and how they're going to attack you as well. So if you're putting together a game plan for the Dolphins and you're trying to, let's say you're playing the Denver Broncos, for instance, you want to see what their defense has done to offenses that are kind of like yours. And you want to try to figure out, okay, well, this is what they're going to do to stop us. This is what we're going to have to do to counter that move. So it's like the same thing that I could, the best way I can describe it is when a team dials up a blitz and you want to throw a screen right in the teeth of that blitz, because that just opens up the floodgates for a huge run for the running back after the catch. So that's kind of the, the game within the game in terms of footballs. It's, you know, I, it's like when you're a, a batter is facing a pitcher in baseball. Like I think he's going to throw a curveball, but he thinks he thinks I know he's going to throw a curveball. So he's going to throw a fastball. Just a, a constant mind game. So for the Dolphins to not have that week off, where teams will kind of evaluate, they'll step back, they'll get into the film room, they'll see what are we doing too much of, what are we not doing enough of, what can we do to change ourselves and improve. And I think the Dolphins never had that opportunity. Without the bye week, you don't have that opportunity because you never have a chance to not scout the next opponent. I mean, Adam Gaze gets done with the game on Sunday. He pops in the film, kind of does a little bit of self-evaluation, and then it's on to the next opponent. So you don't have time to get into that self-evaluating the way you do when you have a week off. So I think that that had a huge impact on the Dolphins season. I think it can only get better next year. I think Adam Gaze took a big, giant, humble pie this year in terms of just being the hot coach. He was the hot name when the Dolphins hired him. He goes 10-6, and six, coach of the year candidate, and then he falls you know, off the face of the earth when Jay Cutler comes in and just ruins the whole program. So I think the Dolphins really, really were impacted by not having the ability to go ahead and make those tendency breakers and self-scout and do that whole thing. So that's kind of something that I noticed. I'm excited to see what they do going forward because they use a lot more Jakeem Grant. They use a lot more Jarvis Landry in different types of ways, and they got guys involved in new ways. I think that's going to be the MO for the Dolphins moving, moving forward on offense, and you're going to see a lot more variety and mix in the way they approach the offense in 2018. So that is going to go ahead and do it for today's podcast, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating and review, and check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out at Locked On NFL on Twitter as well as their Facebook page, and of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. Tons of Dolphins written content on there every single day. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.